Everyone was very close friends. Oh, the recording started. Okay. So, hold on one second. Malachi, you started the recording? I did. Is that right? Oh, okay, okay. Okay, everybody, so welcome to tonight's program. Tonight is Shia 170. And thank you for joining us. Again, Kamat, four years. We're getting there, right? Menachem, uh, I always say it's always four years. Well, yeah. Kamat, four years. No, it's and, really Kamat, four years. Yeah, it's really Kamat, almost four years. And thank you for joining us every week. And uh, again, first, thank you to all the people that come every week and promoting on the WhatsApp statuses and for uh, letting people know about it. We really appreciate it. And again, it's a Sikh Satrim, a place to talk through things, get some clarity. And then hopefully we'll get we'll get some clarity tonight with Rabbi Daniel Glastin. It's a very important topic. So let's get into it. If anybody wants to join our WhatsApp uh, chat, just WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Or you could go to menachembarifal.com and sign up to get the emails with all the information. And hmm? and uh, every week you'll get the flyers with the replays and everything. Again, for all the people that are watching the replays of this on YouTube, you can click on the subscribe button to subscribe to Coach Menachem. You can also click on the like button. The people that are watching this on Torah anytime by Rabbi Gladstein, please enjoy it. And this is another presentation from Torah anytime for Rabbi Pesach Kron. So please enjoy. And uh, for all the advertising sponsors, uh, the Lakewood Scoop, thank you for joining us here in Lakewood. Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel from JCN, for always promoting us on all the Jewish digital content platforms. If anybody's here the first time, every Sunday at 9 30, we have different shirim, different rabbonim, different therapists. Last week, Last week we had a very very deep therapy session, and Gregory was involved, so he came back again to see what another Coach Menachem is all about. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. Again, let's just talk about next week. Next week, January 14th, we're going to have a share with Shia Graucha, Daddy's son. <laughs> and he's going to be talking about the topic we called it, The Man Lifting Israel's Most Broken, Single-Handedly Transforming an Entire Nation with Unstoppable Determination. Elevating Claudius Roll and Power Jewish communities from collective support beyond the front lines. And uh, as you can see, every every WhatsApp status and everything, he's he's collected, I don't know, 50, 100 million dollars and has really been uh, going around day and night and helping the difficult situations. And um, a, a neighbor of mine's parents went around with him and they were just blown away with what he's doing in Israel. And uh, I think it'll be a very important thing to really try to get into it. And I know he's a little bit all over the place, but hopefully we'll try to nail him down next week, Sunday. I know he was by the Haas concert that was there tonight for his father, El Nishmas's father, Daddy. So we'll see how that plays out. Hopefully, Mitchum will be on next week. And um, let's jump into it. Okay. Tonight, we have this Chosid Arna having, once again, the world famous speaker, Rav, with over 10,000 speeches on Torah anytime. Rabbi Gladstein, who Rabbi Gladstein is brilliant, who speaks about many topics, some of the most complex topics, actually, to be honest about, and doesn't show away from anything. Which hopefully tonight will be Mechazic thousands of people. Everybody should join and listen and ask and be part of it. Tonight is year 170. Our CFO over here, COO, is going to give the Gematria for 170. Rabbi Gladstein is going to give his approval if it fits. And then we'll move on to it. Or Noach Fried, not Noah. Noach Fried. What's the Gematria for 170? Shear number 170. Healing hearts after October 7th. Nurturing faith with Rabbi Meir Valones. Experiencing Hashem's love in trying times. You must realize that Hashem is with us constantly in good times and bad times and cares for us unconditionally. The Siat the Shmaya, the Gemati of 170 is key. Who Hashem Alekin? Wow. Beautiful. No, good. That's fine. Can't, like can't go wrong with that, right? I like it. Okay, we're going to first start off with Coach Menachem Berfeld. What are we talking about tonight? Why are we all here? 
by the Hass concert, but instead we're here with you and Rabbi Glassing. So why are we here today? Welcome, welcome everyone to another Let's Get Real with Coach Benachem. And Baruch Hashem, Siyatu Deshmai, we're doing tonight number 170, and Hashem should help us to continue. I do want to thank Rabbi Glastein for being here with us again. Um, every time it's been fascinating, and it's tonight, we'll take it to the next level. So discussing the concept of Rabbi Glastein's new book he put out by Ramea Baloness, we'll discuss a lot. And the concept of the love of Hashem. I think it's a it's a, a fascinating concept and it's a discussion to have. I don't even think we'll be able to finish, you know, everything tonight. But to touch on the on that concept, to understand how to what it is, you know, a little bit of understanding. Many people look around the world talking about the Gaulists were here in, in exile for so many years, trying to figure out what does Hashem want from us. And what's going on in the world and anti-Semitism, or talking even in every individual, people going through challenging times in their individual life. And it's hard, sometimes hard to understand. You know, they understand the concept, Hashem loves every yid, Hashem loves us all, Hashem, you know, but how do we live with it? How do we understand it? How do we actually actualize it? We try to understand. We're trying to figure things out. You know, we want to understand how things work. And when things don't make so, you know, it doesn't make sense. We don't know where to put it. And, uh, you know, we discussed many times the human mind needs to understand. But when it's confused, it gets lost. And this is a topic where many people are trying to figure out why and how, if Hashem really loves us, why do we feel... Why do we see what's going on? You know, we, we want to see the goal already. No, Hashem, no, show it to us. And again, in your individual life also, how do we actually live it? How do we feel it? How do we take it to the next level? There are many people that growing up had a challenging upbringing, to say the least. And even though many years later, you know, they... Go, they they heal and they get better, but there's there's that concept of very hard to connect. That if Hashem really loves me, why did He let that happen? Why did He let that? What, what did you know? I was innocent, a little child, or you know, the home that they grew up, or whatever it was. Why? And sometimes it could haunt them many years, and they walk around with that question for many many years. And it's not easy talking about going to therapy and getting the help they need to be able to function and to continue, which is amazing. However, there's always that little piece of understanding why. If the if if I don't like myself, then how can I like my creator? And many struggle like just loving themselves, just love, unconditional love for, for myself. And if you if, if it's a struggle, then Many times I struggle to really understand that my creator loves me. So here we are. Let's see how much we can cover tonight. To understand a little bit. To give the chizik for those who need it. We all need it. To understand, you know, we're, we're here to grow and to connect to Hashem and to get to that ultimate level to believe that Hashem loves us no matter what. So thank you, Rabbi Glastin, for being with us tonight. And Amit Hashem, we shall have a lot of siyat to Amen.
So let me just start with the overview tonight. Again, tonight's share is called Healing Hearts After October 7th, Divine Connection and Nurturing Faith with Rameya Balanes, The Journey Towards Finding Solace and Experience Hashem's Love in Trying Times. As everybody knows, Rabbi Daniel Latsky wrote a lot of books. He has a new book, I think, that just came out on Rameya Balanes. Rabbi Latsky, you have the book with you? I know. I'm happy to have you. Yeah, thank you. It's an unbelievable book. I'm the link where to buy it and everything. And everybody should please pick up a copy as soon as possible. I'm going to read Rabbi Gladstein's bio, and then we're going to get. Not it. yet. They should stick around for the share first. Stick around, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Don't buy it yet. I mean, you could buy it now, but. You can order it now if they want. But... Yeah, if they if they want to just miss the you know your bio, they could order quickly. Okay, Rav Daniel Gladstein, Rav Murad Asaf Kielos Tiferes Mordechai, the founder of Mechon Magid Hakiara in Cedarhurst, New York. Rabbi Gladstein is one of the most popular speakers and respected Magid Shurim. He has more than ten thousand recorded Shurim. And has garnered millions of views on TorahAnytime.com. His site is RabbiDG.com. That stands for Daniel Gladstein, and numerous other platforms. Rabbi Gladstein is the author of the of, uh, of the series of Al HaTorah by Modim HaMagid Harakia, as well as numerous best-selling English titles published by Arscroll, and of course the new book of Meir Balanes. And Rabbi Gladstein, the opening is yours. Take it away. We have a lot of questions tonight, and the oil needs a lot of clarity tonight. <clears throat> okay, so that was a very loaded introduction. And obviously, there are many very pressing and heavy questions on everybody's heart. And uh, some of these questions, they touch a very raw nerve because they, they're edge on the most difficult questions and existential questions about why sometimes bad things happen to good people and we're and sometimes we're suffering and we're we have trauma and we can't really come to terms with it. But let's take a step back for a moment. And of course, the Jew always lives with the Torah portions with the parshas that are being read, that are being lamed at this time of the year. So we read about the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And that was a pretty, that was a Holocaust. There's nothing short of a Holocaust. Millions of Jews were massacred there. And only a small fraction of Jewish people really came out whole. And but one thing we learned from that experience is let's think about the Jews that God took out of, of Egypt. Let's think about what level they were on. They were on quite a low level. They were on such a low level that had they remained there a moment longer, they would have fallen to what is known as a point of no return. We have a tradition there are 50 levels of Tuma. Kali so is on like 49.99. If we would have remained a moment longer, we would have fallen literally to the point of no return. There would be no way out. And at that moment, God said, I'm taking you out. Why? Why did he do it? Were we deserving of it? We were undeserving of it. The Navi says we were airing the area. We were literally bare. We were naked and bare from mitzvahs. We had no merit at all. So why did God redeem us? And this is the most important principle in the Torah. You see, many people are unaware of the single most important principle of the Torah. You could spend your whole day doing mitzvahs, learning Torah. And if I were to ask you, okay, if you cut it down to one principle, if you nail, if you, you know, limit, if you were to catch, try to capture the essence of the whole Torah, one principle, and I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking uh, the, the one principle of the whole Torah is Amunah. No, no, no. I'm not here to tell you that. That's not, it's not the case. If you were to narrow down all 613 mitzvahs, all the great events that have happened to the Jewish people. What is the single fundamental principle upon which 
the whole Torah stands on. My one of my favorite Kedale Israel is the Chida of Chaim Azulai. Maybe if uh, since we're good friends, maybe I'll show you something a bit later to share. And I have an artifact from the Chida. But the Chida writes, Kihine, Yisoid Musad, Miyoim, Yatsanu, Mimitzrayim, Viyadasa. The fundamental principle from the time that God took us out of Mitzrayim until now is that we are Banim Chavivim Lamakim. We are the beloved children of Hashem. And if you want to know why, what do you mean why? Why is your child your child? You know, it's not, not that complicated. They're, they're a piece of you. They're a piece of you. A Jewish person, a Jewish man, a Jewish woman, the Klal Yisrael, each individual Yid is a beloved child of Hashem. And don't ask yourself, well, why does Hashem love me? You know, I, I have a story. I love this story. I have, I have a son, a wonderful boy, Naftali. So I, I, um, you know, I don't live in Lakewood, so my kids call me daddy. It's okay. I called my father daddy. So I tell Naftali, Naftali, you know why daddy loves you? He says, why? He said, I love you because I do. He said, daddy, that doesn't make any sense. He said, exactly. It doesn't make sense. You don't, there's not a reason why you love your child. It's a reality of existence. The, the number one, the fun, most fundamental principle of the whole Torah is that a Jew is a beloved child of HaKadosh Baruch. Now, you want to know, but how could we be children of Hashem? What does that even mean, we're a child of Hashem? You know, a child means that the father and the mother contribute to the genetic makeup, to the DNA of the child. So when, when we're talking about the Almighty, when we're talking about HaKadosh Baruch, what exactly does it mean? We're the beloved child of Hashem. One of the tenets of faith is, Animamim be'amunah shalema, sh'abari yisbar shemai, He's not physical. God has no physicality. So in what way are we his child? So there, there are a few un, um, dimensions to this. Firstly, the personality and the character of a Jew in some way resembles that of the creator in that we have a natural inclination to want to do the right thing. That that fundamental personality that a Jewish person has means that we, have, we share a similar makeup to the Creator. Now, don't make the mistake, and I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm here to be factual. Don't make the mistake and say, well, you know, after all, aren't we all the children of the God? No, it's not true. In England, they would say it's a bunch of rubbish. Not all mankind are the children of Hashem. All mankind are the creation of Hashem. They're the handiwork of Hashem. All mankind are God's handiwork. And all mankind deserves respect, dignity, and kindness. But not all of mankind are the children of Hashem. The same, and you say, well, that's bias, that's prejudice. How's it bias and prejudice? Uh, is it bias and prejudice to say that your biological children are your children and your next door neighbor are not your children? That's a fact of life. The facts are, uh, is that the Jewish people are the beloved children of Hashem. There's another dimension of this. And that is the Chidah's great-great-grandfather, the Chesed Li Avram. He writes that just like a biological child literally has the genetic code of the father, the spiritual genetic code of the Jewish people is yun, is comes out of the Rebbe himself, 
to an extent, we're a chilek aleikamima, we're a piece of the divine. And in that sense, God literally fathered us in a spiritual sense. So we are the beloved children of Hashem. And therefore, God made sure that he wanted us to know how beloved we are. So he rescued us and he saved us at a time that we were completely undeserving. And Rav Tzadik HaKlein says, the reason why, you know, we don't go a day of our life without remembering that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Mitzrayim. Why is that so important? It happened 3,300 years ago. I mean, I don't even remember what happened two days ago. You, you know what happened on Thursday? Thursday was like light years away. I have to remember something that happened 3,300 years ago. Yes, you need to remember the fundamental principle upon which the whole Torah stands, and that is God loves you unconditionally. And if you wanted to know, well, he loves me unconditionally, what's the proof? What's The proof is, when we were in Egypt, and we were naked and bare of mitzvahs, and we had no merit, we about to fall to them, Tashari Tumah, and had we remained there a moment longer, fall to the point of no return, God said, I'm taking you out. So why? Because he loves us unconditionally. You know, there, there's a fundamental teaching of the Maral. It's worthwhile. And, and I really wanted to begin by speaking about a little bit of the historical context of what's taking place. But this is even more fundamental. So I'm beginning this way. You know, who's the first Jew? Avram Avinu. And God speaks to him. And God says to Avram, Hey, Avram, I want you to move out of uh, Orakazim. Do me a favor. Go to the land of Israel. Go to Eretz So the Pesach says, God says to Avram. By the way, who is Avram? Why is God talking to him? Why is Rabbi Hashem talking to him? Did he do anything good? No, the Torah doesn't say a word about who he is. You know, at the end of Nayak, it talks about the whole family of Avram, Terach, Nachar, Haran, all these guys. And we don't know one from another, and their wives. And then all of a sudden, out of the whole mix, God spoke to Avram. Why him? And it's not like there's nothing nice to say about him. We could have said a lot of good things about him. We could have said, he was the greatest in history. The Rambam says he brought tens of thousands of people to Amunah and Hashem. Amravinu was the greatest Balchesed. Amravinu broke the idols of his father. There are a lot of beautiful things we could have said about Amravinu. And the Torah says absolutely nothing. And yet Noyach, who was not as great as Amravinu, Noyach, we have his whole resume. Noyach was a tzaddik. He was a Tamim, how is it? Noyach was nowhere near Avram, and we have all these wonderful things to say about Noyach, and Avraham was greater, we don't say a word about him. Says the Maral, the answer to this question is literally what gives the Jewish people strength and courage in the Gullahs. Because in 2024, if we're going to ask the question, well, does uh, God love us? Are we deserving? Are we worthy? Well, maybe we don't meet up. Maybe we don't reach the levels of our forefathers. Says the Maral, therefore the Torah says, when God chose the Jewish people, when did he choose us? When he spoke to Abraham. The Torah is saying, do you know why God is speaking to Abraham? For no reason. It's not because he's a tzaddik. It's not because he's a balchaseh. It's not because he's a makarev rechaikin. He's just choosing him. You know why? Because he loves him. And you know why he loves him? Just because. It's unconditional. See, Noah 
was a Benoya. He was a, a worthy man, a worthy human. So if God's going to speak to him, we need to know why. And there was a reason, because he was righteous. And if his descendants are not righteous, then the relationship is uh, conditional, and God will not have the same relationship with his descendants. But not so the Jewish people. God's relationship with the nation of Israel, with Klal Yisrael, God's relationship with every Jew is an unconditional relationship. Now, don't make a mistake and think it means that it doesn't matter what I do. Huh. Of course it matters what I do. Of course the way we act will affect the way God deals with us. That's unquestionable. But in terms of the basic feeling of confidence and security, every Jew has to have complete faith that, you know, if I were to ask you, what's the greatest love in this world? Is it the love um, between spouse, a husband and wife? Is it the love from a parent to a child? You know, some say the greatest love in this world is uh, the love of a child to a parent. You know, I, um, my father told me the story. My grandfather, uh, Menachem, uh, many times in Tishbev, you give me those chus, we discuss um, appropriate topics. The Tishbev many times is talking about the, the history of my grandfather. So my grandfather, after the Holocaust, he came to America. He was a rabbi in Pittsburgh for more than 70 years. And, I wa you know, Rabbanim, especially in out-of-town communities, they have to preside over unveiling. Um, and my, my grandfather wasn't well at the time. He asked my father to do it. My father wasn't a practicing rabbi, but, you know, every learned Jew knows how to do an unveiling. And this um, six foot seven Western Pennsylvanian man uh, picks up my father in his pickup truck. And he says, Rabbi, I'm going to take you out to the cemetery and I'm going to show you all of us. And my father doesn't know what he's talking about. What do you, what do you mean you're going to show him all of us? And they go out to the cemetery and the six foot seven Western Pennsylvania man, he's showing my father the whole family this is my uncle, this is my aunt, this is my brother, this is my sister. And he's showing off his deceased family members like you'd be showing off a, a bottle cap collection. No emotion, no unfazed. He was a rough, gruff guy. He shows him the grave of his son and his daughter. No emotion. And then he shows him the grave of his father and mother who passed away more than 50 years earlier. And this six foot five Western Pennsylvania man breaks down crying like a baby for a father and mother that passed away many decades ago. In a certain sense, the strongest emotion a person may have in their heart is to their parent. Because even though it sounds in a way counterintuitive, but the first emotion that a person is born with in this world, they don't have uh, children, but they have parents. So the love for a parent is a very deep emotion. You know what the greatest love in this world is? It's not to a child. It's not to a parent. The greatest love we have in this world is the love we have to ourselves. But the Chavetz Chaim writes, even greater than the love we have to ourselves is the love Hashem has for every Jew. So the love Hashem has for us is unconditional. 
and it's indescribable and it's infinite and it's overwhelming and when Hashem thinks about us he's overwhelmed with emotion and love for how much he loves every single Jew you know I had the privilege once to sit next to my grandfather a Holocaust survivor you know if, if anyone could have questions my grandfather who saw the murder of his whole community the blood of his relatives streaming through the streets and it was once on Rosh Hashanah I was sitting next to my grandfather and the Balkoire was reading the Pasuk in Yermia Habein Yaker Li Ephraim Im Yeled the Pasuk means Hashem says is Israel is Ephraim is Kal Yisrael not my beloved child aren't they the son of my delight you know how it is like you have a little boy if you're privileged to have a child, a little boy, you know, and they're at that age that they can't do anything wrong and they're just so sweet and they're so adorable and they're so beloved that just thinking of them, you have like a longing for them. That's how Hashem feels about us. Hashem says, Im yelet shashum, the Jewish people are like the child of my delight. When I just speak about them, I can't stop remembering them. My, my innards churn for them. And therefore, Hashem says, I will surely have mercy on them. And I saw my grandfather hear these words and he's overcome with emotion. Here's a man who saw the murder of the six million. But he was so overwhelmed with the love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the Jewish people that that was the overwhelming emotion in his heart. You know, often you hear people say, you know, I'm, uh, I, I can't even deal with what's taking place in Eretz Yisrael. You know, sometimes get a grip a little bit. You're living in America. There are people, there are people in Eretz Yisrael who they were there. They, their neighbors were there or there in that community. You know, sometimes you have to sort of get a grip of yourself that we can't even begin to compare to people who went through so much more than us. And we look to them and we see the strength that they have. But the, the first thing we have to recognize is the fundamental, overwhelming, infinite, powerful love that Baruch Hu has for every Jew. Every Jew has to wake up in the morning and think to themselves, the Rebunishan loves me in an indescribable way it's there are no words that can begin to express the powerful love Hashem has for every Jew and because of that you know sometimes a person says you know I have anxiety maybe maybe this will happen maybe that will happen you know I can't really be confident that things are going to work out for me maybe I did Averos maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do no Regular, fundamental bitachin allows a person to think, I am a beloved child of Hashem, and my father is going to take care of me. He's going to protect me. He's going to help me be successful. He's going to help me get a job. He's going to help me start a family. He's going to help me have happiness. That's the starting point in life. A person doesn't have to be a tzaddik to think, oh, then Hashem will love me, or then I could trust in Hashem. 
No. Chavetz Chaim writes, Ach Bashem al You don't have to be a tzaddik for Hashem to love you or to, for you to have trust in Him. As long as you're not actively rebelling, as long as you're not, as long as you're with the party line, as long as you try to be a faithful member of the Jewish people. So you slip up and not everything's going to be perfect. And sometimes the person may do things that are wrong. As long as you're a card carrying faithful member of the people, you have a right to feel that you are completely worthy of the absolute love of Hashem and you could trust in Him fully. Now, I want to share one more thing before uh, we open it up. And, and and you'll tell me if I have time to talk about the historical context of what's taking place. You know, if I were to ask you, Sainar, we have we have a nice ulam uh, tonight. And, you know, many of us remember parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, earlier generations. If I were to ask you a simple question, who does Hashem love more? Us, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, our great-grandparents. For some reason, we've been conditioned to think, you read that Sadai, right? So generations get worse and worse, get less and less. And somehow God loved, you know, the Nevi'im more than he loved the Tanoim, and uh, more than he loved the Amorim, and more than he loved the Rishayim, the Ephraim. So Hashem loved the, the Nevi'im this much, and he loved the Tanoim this much, and the Amorim this much, Rishayim this much, Achorim, and me, I don't know, I'm like under a pebble somewhere. It's a fatal mistake. It's a terrible mistake. Not only is it a mistake, not only is it wrong, it's pink spot It's Adarab. It's Mamash the opposite. You know, um, those who dive in Ashkenaz, we say before Krishna, Ahavarabha. We say the words Ahavarabha. If I ask you what the words Ahavarabha mean, most people translate Ahavarabha, a great love. Ahavarabha, Ahavsanu Hashem Lakim. With the great love you've loved us, Hashem. And Rav Shlav, it's such a monumental comment. Rav Shab says the word Rabba does not mean great. Ahava Rabba doesn't mean Hashem loves us with a great love. The word Rabba means increasing. The word Rabba means growing. Rabba means expanding. I'm going to take some uh, license, but this is the Yisrael Rav Shab says. You know, when I was a kid, now I know, I know I'm speaking to a very flesh of Eilam in Lakewood, so... But maybe in other communities, you know, let's say you're in Shear in high school and you didn't quite hop what the Rebbe was saying. So you had, a, you had to get the Gemara down. So in my times, what do you do? I don't know. You try to get a hold of a Torah tape. You know, you go to the Torah tape library and you try to find the market Shear who could give over the Shear or even better. They had this real, this crutch is called the Sincino Gemara. Sincino. You know what Sincino is? It's basically like a translation of the Gemara in the Queen's English. And you have these high school guys who after a while they realize that they understand the Aramaic of the Gemara better than the Queen's English of the Sincino Gemara. And then Art Scroll came out with Masechta Makos. Whoa. Now, if I'm not saying it ever happened to my yeshiva, but in other yeshivas, if for whatever, for a moment or two, you were distracted and you, you didn't get shot in the Gemara, so you would take out the uh, Art Scroll Gemara and it's explained to you very clearly. And then they came out with Hamafkis. And then they came out with uh, entire Masechtas. And nowadays, 
you have the entire art school shabbat. And now you have art school shabbat, you have Mesifta shabbat. And you have every line of Rashi and Shas explained clearly. And if you have a question on a Toysus, our school now has Toysus. And Mesifta explains every line in Toysus. And you have Rishonim and Achronim. And Kemad, every Sefer today is accessible. Why do you think it is that 20 years ago, all of these tools were not available to us? Why do you think we didn't have Coach Menachem 20 years ago helping us navigate our issues in life? And today we have him. You know why? Says Rabbi Schwab, because the Rebunisham loves Klal Yisrael more and more and more. Hashem's love for us is increasing. The Rebunisham loves Yidin more and more and more. And as much as he loved Tanoim, he loved Amoraim more. And as much as he loved Amoraim, he loved Rishonim more. And as, as much as he loved your Babas and Zedas, he loves your children even more. And therefore, the Chafetz Chaim writes, you know, people say, Mashiach is going to come for us. Oh, come on. If my grandmother, if my Zayda couldn't bring Mashiach, I'm going to bring Mashiach? And the answer is, yeah, you're going to bring Mashiach. You know why? Because Yudon Shalom loves you more than your grandparents and your great-grandparents. Say, so how, how could that be? Why would he love me? Weren't they greater than me? Of course they were greater than me. But he doesn't love you because you're great. He loves you because you're his children. And as much as time passes, that love intensifies. This is the fundamental tenet of the Torah. We don't do mitzvahs because we have to. We do mitzvahs because the Rebbe gave us the opportunity and the privilege because he loves us so much. That's what we think when we do mitzvahs. So that's that's a very that's the fundamental basis of this sefer, Ramir Baanes and the uh, Eternal Children of Hashem. But it's not about the book; it's about life. It's about Judaism. It's about Torah. It's about mitzvahs. And therefore, did you know there's a mitzvah in the Torah? There's a mitzvah to love Hakadosh Baruch. You know, everybody does all these mitzvahs. Everybody's very into you know, they have all these ads to do. You could send away birds and take the eggs. People are into all kinds of mitzvahs. And they're all wonderful. There's a mitzvah that's overlooked. It's a mitzvah that you have to do at least once a day. It's the mitzvah of loving Hashem. You cannot let a day of your life go by without fulfilling the mitzvah of loving Hashem. Not one day of your life. And the optimum time to fulfill it is when you say in Kriya Shema, Ve'ahavta is Hashem Lekecha. Before you say those words, pause and think, I am now fulfilling the mitzvah of Avas Hashem. You do that once a day, it will change your life. Say, love Hashem? Isn't that a very high level? No, it's not a very high level. Just think a little bit how much Hashem loves you and then uh, naturally you'll feel some degree, a little bit of Abbas Hashem. The Chavaz Chaim says, you should try to think that when you say the words, if you can't muster that thought before you go home and you eat breakfast, the same way you daven before you eat, you put on tefillin before you eat, you put on your talis before you eat, 
don't eat before you could check off that you are Mekayim at least once a day, the mitzvah of loving Hashem. Rav Miller would say, once a day, say, I love you, Hashem. You say that, it's dynamite. And Rav Miller would say, if you're embarrassed to say that, you're afraid that your friends will institutionalize you. So they'll, they'll uh, ask you to have private consultation with Coach Menachem. So what you do is, Rav Miller would say, you go into the telephone bo- booth and you make a long distance call. You pick up the phone and you say, I love you, Hashem. So I say they don't have telephone booths anymore. That's why Hashem created cell phones. Anyway, people are talking on the, they have their earpieces in, they're talking on the phone. So you talk on the phone once a day. You could do it twice. If you do it twice, nothing bad will happen. You'll just, it will be dynamite times uh, two. This is, these are the fundamental responsibilities of the Jew. All of Avodah Hashem, all of Judaism is based on the feeling that more than anything in the world, Hashem loves me in an infinite way. Ahava, Rabba, Ahavtama. Now, the big question is, he loves me. So why don't I feel the love? And how much does Hashem love me? And how much can I access that? And how much can I connect with that? You know whose question this was? None other than Moshe Rabbi. And you know when he asked Hashem this question? At the burning bush. Because the Rebbe tells Moshe, Moshe, I want you to take the Klaisa'ad of Mitzrayim. So Moshe asked a very simple question. They're going to ask me what your name is. What am I supposed to tell them? So Hashem says, tell them, Ekya Asher Ekya. I will be that I will be. What's this back and forth between Hashem and HaKadosh Baruch? What's Moshe asking Hashem? And what is Hashem's response? Says Rav Shimon Schwab, Moshe Rabbeinu is asking the question of the day. Hashem, we know you love Jews theoretically. And we know your love to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov was open and revealed. But they're going to ask me, does he still, does God still love us? Because it doesn't seem that way. Because why has he forsaken us in the Mitzrayim for 210 years? So I know they're going to ask me the question. They're going to ask me, what is his name? Meaning, where has he been lately? And God says, you tell them. I will be what I will be. That the love I had to Abraham, and the love I had to Yitzchak, and the love I had to Yaakov, is no less, is not diminished, is not mitigated, is not any smaller than to them right now in Mitzrayim. It's just right now they don't see it. And they might not be able to perceive it as an earlier time. But it is no less. And my fundamental feeling to every Jew and to Kal Yisrael has not changed at all. And the destiny of the Jewish people will be fulfilled. And maybe they don't recognize it, but it's a chesed to them that I need to speed up the process so 
So I'm making things a little bit harder right now because if I don't, they'll have to be there longer and then they'll never get out. So really, the difficulty is a great blessing. But you can't really feel it while it's happening. But they should know fundamentally, I will be that I will be. Meaning, my feelings toward them are no less and are unchanged. You know, the Navi tells us that if we were to measure what the good times will be like relative to the difficulties in Jewish history, the Navi says, that the challenges of our history, the challenges of October 7th, and all the terrible things that we've endured, in the scheme of things, relative to the good times that we will enjoy, are a brief moment. They're a brief moment. They're like the flash of a snap of a finger. They're It doesn't feel like rega. October 7th didn't feel like a rega. 1939-1945 didn't feel like a rega. But you, but Aramuna is that relative to the Akrosayamin, they will be negligible. Now, we're reading now the Parshiyot. This cannot come at a better time. Do you know these are the most important... After this, I want to go to the questions, okay? Sure. Well, you think there might be questions on this topic? Tons of questions. Yeah, okay. No, I know, right. So, here's the thing. We're reading about Ba'ira Ba'ibishal. I said, there's a lot of psuk in here about makas that happened a very long 3,000 years ago. I need to know about frogs in Egypt and... Uh, and lice and uh, all these things and dying animals. I mean, I got things to do. This happened 3,300 years ago. Here's the thing. This is not about ancient history. Every single event that took place in Mitzrayim was what we call the Masay Avais, was the predecessor, was the precursor, was the pre-enactment of all the miracles that will take place in the coming of the Gula. Actually, everything that we're going to read about the Yitzhak Mitzrayim is practice run, a dress rehearsal for the Akros Hayomim. The Akros Hayomim will be so magnificent and so remarkable and on such a greater scale that even Yitzhak Mitzrayim will pale in comparison. So these parshas that we read should really ennoble our hearts, should inflame our hearts with Hamuna that these are the events that will bring about the tremendous miracles, the Akros Hayamim. And at that point in time, we will see that everything that transpired in our history will be rega. Comparatively, relatively, will be a fleeting brief moment. So that's just um, by way of introduction to uh, some other aspects that we're going to continue to discuss. Okay, let's get into it. It was a strong opening. I'm sure people are going to have questions. Everybody's here. Let's start with a, with a poll, three-question poll. Then we'll summarize it. Then we'll get into the questions, okay? Yeah. Anybody that I see people are texting questions, Hashem, live questions go first. We have a in here. Everything's on the table. So let's uh, let's keep that in mind. Okay, here's the polls. Mm-hmm. 
Three question poll. Everybody answer freedom. Answer how you want. Anonymous. First question. What is your personal preference on the reasons behind the tragic? What's your personal perspective on the reasons behind the tragic events surrounding October seventh massacre? So what like what do you think? Like if you had to guess one, what would you say? Again, we're not God. We don't know. But if you would guess one, you would say one. It's a punishment. Wake up call. I perceive these events as a form of punishment or wake up call. Number two. Something we can't understand. I believe these events are beyond our comprehension. Defined an easy answer. Number three, this is a circle of life. We have the good, then we complain, then Hashem reminds us to be happy. Or number three, this is the beginning of the stage of Goyagamogig and the coming of Mashiach. That's the first question. It's an opinion, no right or wrong. Number two, when facing personal struggles, how do you typically perceive it? Four options. I perceive it as a form of punishment from Hashem for my sins. I believe it helps me become stronger and more connected to Hashem. I don't see a connection. It feels like a disconnected experience. You don't feel anything. You just feel like you're completely disconnected from Hashem. Number four, I consider it, I consider it a test of faith, of spiritual journey, a moon and betachen exercise. Third question. How do you perceive your journey towards solace and experiences in Hashem's love? Four options, embracing gratitude and finding meaning in challenges. Number two, seeking comfort through acts of chesed, kindness, and charity. Number three, engaging in meditative practices, davening, learning for deeper spiritual connection. Or option four, balancing introspection with community support for overall being. Which means basically between looking into yourself and getting the chizik from Coach Wanachim and different shirim, that's what... Helps you find your inner peace, especially when dealing with difficult things. Okay, those are the three questions. Rabbi Glassin, you like the questions? Yeah. Let the Elam vote, and when they're done, we're going to share the, the results with everybody, and then we're going to take it from there. Okay, five more seconds. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. We're still voting. Hmm? I love when you make a survey, how everybody has their own point of view. Somebody writes. This is a, this is a Torah de Kashkafa to explain all these in Yonam. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm answering you back. We know that, but we want to hear what people think and feel so we can discuss it so we can get to that. Okay, let's, re, let's share the polls. Here we go. The first poll, what is your personal perspective on reasons behind the tragic events surrounding October 7th? 22% of people feel it's a punishment wake-up call. Rabbi Glassine, 55% of people feel it's something that they cannot understand. I believe these events are bonded our comprehension, defining you know an easy answer. So most people here are, I guess, machnia to the Kodesh Baruch Hu, that this is what Hashem wants, and we really can't understand it. One percent of people feel like it's a circle of life. We have a good, we complain, and then Hashem reminds us to be happy. And twenty-two percent of people think that's the beginning of the stages of Gog and Magog, and they're waiting for the coming of Mashiach. They believe this is the beginning. Mm-hmm. Any comment on that? Very difficult to comment on. Not because there's not what to say, 
but because it's a very uh, sensitive topic in general. A very difficult topic to talk about. When there was a uh, suicide bomber on one of the buses, they came to Rebel Yashiv and they asked, you know, why did it happen? Was it Snius? Was it Shmir Senai? Was it Bittol Taira? Everyone had their reason. And Rebel Yashiv said, Amy Asik Benestarai. Beats me. Rebel Yashiv. Rebel Yashiv, I have no. I have no business in the hidden affairs of uh, heaven. So if Rebbe Yashiv had, uh, didn't have the prophecy, if, if his prophecy expired, then mine must have also, I guess, you know? But, that's, if, that's if you say the but now it's the opposite. Yeah, God loves us, but, you know, it doesn't mean he gives a prophecy. Um, but, but the reality is like this. You want to know what I have predicted this uh, response? Absolutely. The popular answer is that we don't understand why things happen. It's a very popular answer. The psychology of it has many dimensions. In a way, it's perhaps comfortable to think that we don't have an understanding of it because it doesn't require ask anything of us. If we can't understand it, then obviously God's not asking anything of us. On the other hand, if it happened for a reason, that's a challenge. So in a certain sense, it's very safe and secure to say, you know, uh, we have no idea why it happened. Therefore, we will just continue on with our life as if nothing happened. On the other hand, it's dangerous to say, well, it happened for this reason or for that reason, because who are we to give reasons uh, or what, what happens. The reality is, though, that anyone who studies the pages of the Gemara, or Medrash, or any of our Svarmachdoshim, know that Chazal have always attributed reason for tragedy. Now, whether it's the first base of Mekdash, or the second base of Mekdash, or, or whether it was the Spanish Inquisition, whether it was the Crusades, whether it was Tafatat, the Gedolim and Tacham always gave reasons. So what changed today? What changed is we don't know what the reasons are. But not that there are no reasons. It may be a mystery what the message is. But there has to be a message that everybody takes to heart. That's, uh, that's without question. To allow something of this magnitude to take place and to say, well, we don't understand the ways of Hashem would be a terrible waste of an opportunity and a very wrong response. So it's a very delicate question to uh, address. On the one hand, we don't know why it happened. And on the other hand, we better come up with some reason. And probably the most um, intelligent response has to be that everybody has to ask themselves, what do I need to do? That is the most basic response that everyone has to have. Now, an important, uh, an important perspective over time. You know, uh, during the course of the year, we have three weeks, three weeks of punishment, uh, three weeks, the Bein HaMatzah. We have something called Shiva Dinachamta, the seven weeks of consolation. 
And we have something called Tarti de Tiyufta, the two weeks of Tshuva. You know about this? We have three weeks, uh, plus of the Paranusa, three weeks of punishment. That's the Bein Hamsan. We have Shiva de Nechemta, seven weeks of consolation. And then we have Tarti de Tiyufta, two weeks of Tshuva. The two weeks of Tshuva is you have, um, you know, Tzam Gedalia and Yom Akipur. These are a series of 12 Haftarims. So let, we have to study this. Think about it. That means when we're hit over the head and Hashem allows Beit to be destroyed and we're being massacred and it happens for a reason and the reason we know, Chazal, tell us the reason. We did Averos. So we don't say, oh, we did Averos. We'll immediately do Tshuva. No. Did you realize there's a seven-week buffer between the punishment and the repentance, between the punishment and the Tshuva? What is this buffer zone? It's called seven weeks of consolation. Which means we're not saying it didn't happen because of our sin. We're not saying we're not at fault. We're not saying we don't have to change big time. We're not saying, oh, we don't know, we don't know why God. All we're saying is we're so beaten and demoralized that the first thing we need to do is we need some consolation to get back on our feet so that we'll be able to repent and change. So this is a paradigm and a pattern of how Jews are able to respond. Yes, there's punishment. Yes, we're going to do tshuva. But for the for the day after to say, oh, you know why it happened on October 7th? Well, it probably happened because of A, and it probably happened because of B. No, no, no. Before, before we're ready for that, we need consolation. We need solace. We need to get back on our feet. We need to brush ourselves off, dust ourselves off, have a little um, peace of mind before we're, we have the wherewithal and the frame of mind to really think about, okay, so what do I need to do to change? So I think it's a very big mistake to say, well, you know, it's a mystery. We don't know the ways of God. And, uh, you know, we don't understand why Hashem does things. That, that's not the correct response. On the other hand, it's not the correct response to immediately attribute fault. I, you know, and I saw some of the questions that came in. Oh, what was going on then? What, what, what was happening at the time? Everything is appropriate at the right time. When Jews are suffering before anything, before tshuva, they need nechama. So now we're in the, you know, we're in the shiva dinachamta. So to speak. Okay, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Glassin, let's 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 zip through the next two polls because there's a lot of questions people want to ask. Okay. Yeah. Is that okay? Well, one second. Just one second. Okay. The next question is: When facing personal challenges, how do you typically perceive it? So, six percent of people perceive it as a form of punishment for my sins. Forty-four percent of people over here. Again, it's Coach Benachem people, so it's not a riot because we're all they're very growing people. It believes it helps them become stronger and more connected to Hashem. 5% of the people, I don't see the connection. It feels like a disconnected experience. 44% of the people, I consider a test of my faith and spiritual journey. So two and four are very similar. You know I mean, they're both to become closer to Hashem. Mm-hmm. Third question. How do you perceive your journey towards souls and experience Hashem's love? So 49% of the people embracing gratitude and finding meaning in challenges. 9% seeking comfort through acts of chesed and tzedakah. 27% of people engaging in davening, learning, meditative practices. 
and 15% of people balancing introspection with community support for overall well-being. So those are the polls. Um, let's jump on the first live question, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm mute. I'll mute. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Sure. Um, thank you for all your chizuk and, and incredible words. Um, so my question is, you know, we're human beings. And unlike our avos and the incredible people in, in the Torah who lived on levels beyond what a normal human being, I think, and most today is capable of, there are people that come across Yisurin. We have our own personal Yisurin that that we have to deal with on on you know in our lives, and um, you know in you know we're taught that we have to have bitachon. Hashem loves us, as you were saying, and the whole idea is that we we embrace the fact that you know what there are dark times, and behind every darkness there's light. And so, in order to have our menuchas nefesh and and live with you know ibdus Hashem b'simcha, we have hope that things will improve. But we also know that it's possible that Hashem has, uh, you know, decree for us that maybe things are not going to improve. And it's very difficult as a human being sometimes when you're in a very difficult, you know, dark place and, you know, dealing with Yisurin to try to have this Simcha Sachaim and positive attitude, you know, even understanding that Hashem loves us, but Hashem's love, you know, as a parent loves, he can still decide to punish a child, even with a tremendous amount of love. So the question is, how, how, what's the proper approach to be able to have some chesachayim and menuchas and nefesh through a difficult time? That's a very difficult question. Um, one perspective, maybe. The uh, words of the Rambam. This is a Rambam that's uh, not so familiar to people. The Rambam is in the Marnabutim. And the Rambam says that for the vast majority of a person's life, most things are good. And at the time that things might not be so good, most things in their life are pretty good. For a person not to be writhing in pain, currently, billions of different things have to be going right. So the Rambam writes that he never met someone who did not have most things in their life overwhelmingly good. Now, that doesn't mean that when something is bad, it's not painful. But it is a perspective. I mean, even in terms of uh, what happened um, on October 7th, I mean, if you think about the situation uh, in Israel currently, you know, we're surrounded by 300 million Arabs. You know what that means? 300 million Arabs. We just fought a war now for three months, nonstop. And there's thousands more of these guys who are armed to the teeth. And the fact that in the last 70 years, one time it happened, 
And that one time, it was a thousand people. Of course, it was terrible. One person is, is terrible. But think about the miracle it is. You know, you know how, many, how many of these terrorists there are? They've been fighting for three months straight with the most sophisticated army and weapons in the world. And there's still, still a long way to go. I mean, these guys are, are in, the, the, in, the, in the tunnels. Who knows how many of them there are? And one time they got through. And what they could have done and the, the yeshivas they were planning on and, and the moshavim they were planning on. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. So, I mean, that's nisei nisim. It's, it's almost uh, inexplicable. How is it possible? 300 million of them for 70 years have been kept at bay. And the one time they broke out, I mean, relative to what could have been. I mean, that's not undermining. That We're not trying to minimize the pain. But it's a perspective. Right. I hear. I, you know, it, yeah, I guess the difficulty on a, on a personal level is every <clears throat> every Yisurin that a person is decreed by a Shemayim is carefully crafted for that person. You know, if a person is, if it's health or money, if a you know, person, you know, money's not an issue. Hashem might not affect the money because he knows that's not the person, something that's going to bother the person. So everything's crafted in order as a human being to affect us, to, to make us change, to make us come closer to Hashemayim, to, you know, that's the purpose. But sometimes though, Yisurin are, it's difficult and not, not to see Hashem, but to see, you know, like you mentioned in the beginning when you were talking, it's difficult to see Hashem's love sometimes. If, you know, why is Hashem doing these things? And, you know, Shlomo Melech says, don't try to think of what Hashem is. And, but that's, I think, beyond a normal human being's capacity. And so to have, to live with true Simcha Sachayim and, and whatever for, 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 I think, a regular human being sometimes in a difficult situation can be very challenging. Life is challenging. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, none of these ideas take away the pain. Pain still hurts. Sometimes we can have a perspective on it. If I could share just two two points, you know, um, the polls had some very very uh, beautiful options. Like many people have thought that the challenges they face maybe are strengthening their amuna or strengthening their trust. I would humbly suggest there's another option. There's there's like a fifth choice, which maybe we should think about as well. Chavis Havavis writes that sometimes Hashem frustrates a person's plans, meaning life doesn't go as planned. And sometimes, ultimately, it the outcome is what you would have liked, but not it doesn't come about in the way that you would have liked. In other words, sometimes a person would have wanted to have a certain life and that doesn't happen, or sometimes they have that life, but they thought it would have come as a result of doing A, and A didn't work, and it happened through B. And the Chavos Havavah says, so, so why does God um, run the world that way? Basically, why do things not work out sometimes? Or why is it they don't work out in the way that we would have thought? And the Chavos Havavah says a very important principle, that one of the main objectives in life is to realize, and Hashem wants us to realize, and this is one of the hard maybe the hardest post to swallow is that we don't we don't have control. That's the lesson. It's not it's not a pain. It's not a sound. 
is that we don't have control. And Hashem, it's important for us to live in this world and to sort of let go and to recognize that we don't control the outcome of our lives because there's someone else pulling the strings. And that is often a reason why things in life are not the way we would want them. It's Rebansham for our growth. It's not a matter of trusting in him. It's not a matter of believing in him. It's a matter of relinquishing control to him. We Things happen, the unexpected happens in life in many circumstances. And sometimes it works out and sometimes we're happy about it and we're not happy about it. But either way, it's, it's not within our control because it's important to live in this world realizing we bunch them is in control. Human beings naturally want to feel a certain control of their life. They want to feel, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to, I'm going to go here. It's going to work out like this. And the Rebbe says, no, no, you can't. There's no planning. You can't plan. You know, people get so ahead of themselves. Well, we're on there. We're going to go this way. The Rebbe says, why are you planning so much? Well, we, you think this is your world? No, 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 no. It's It's my world. So that's very often, you know, what we call personal challenge. That's a very basic message sometimes Hashem uh, wants us to, to grow from and to, to recognize. Right. So it's beautiful what you said. I, I, I work very hard on that concept. I'm a type A personality and you know it's been very difficult to let go, but it's something my avoda, it's it's a daily avoda for me. Um, you know, and look, the the difficult part really for a type A personality and, and I think for many of us is we know how real Hishtadlus has to be, but understanding that Hishtadlus doesn't matter in the results. And Hishtadlus is something that when we put that in, we are kind of getting a little bit of control. By nature, when you go to work and you do your work or you put a deal together or whatever, by nature, you're controlling something. And so it's such like, so I started by saying we're not our avos who are superhumans. We're human beings who go to work every day thinking that we are in control of some aspect of our lives, but we have to completely let go and say, it doesn't matter what contract I sign, that money's not coming in my bank account unless Hashem wills it to be. Yeah, good. Well said. Our Rosh Hashiva, would say, you need to do Hishtadlus as if it was dependent on you and realize it's not. And that's what that right. got. You need yeah. to give it, when you do Hishtadlus, you need to give it everything you have. You know, you have like um, these people, oh, they're big Bali Amuna. They don't, they feel you don't have to do Hishtadlus. No, that's a mistake. Hishtadlus is you give it everything you have. You act as if it's completely dependent on you, realizing it's not dependent at all. That's the dichotomy that is our responsibility. Now, regarding what you said, um, you know, our other situation lived on a, on a level that we can't even imagine. I, I want to add an important akuda that uh, ties in to Rav Schwab's idea of Shem's uh, love for us is even more intense than in earlier generations. The the Arizal would tell his student, Rabchaim Vital, he said, he said Rabchaim, do you realize how elevated your neshama is? Do you realize how great your neshama is? Greater even than earlier generations. Rabchaim Vital said, come on, Rabbi. I don't even come to the toenails of earlier generations. And Arizal said, 
No, God judges a person based on the times that you live in. And in our times, the forces of impurity are out of control. And therefore, any small mitzvah you do in your, and any small mitzvah you, Reb Chaim, do, is more valued than the greatest mitzvahs of the earlier generations. Now, if the Ari thought that in Svat, in the 16th century, the forces of Tumma were out of control, I mean, yeah, you should see the, the billboards in Svat in the 16th century, you know, I mean, what was going on over there? What Kaya what, I mean, they haven't seen anything if they weren't in New York in the 21st century. So if the Ari told Reb Chaim that Reb Chaim is more beloved than earlier generations because the forces of Tumma were out of control, what would the Arizal say to every one of us? He might say that a Jew today is more valued than literally Tanoam and Amaram. And if you think that sounds exaggerated, look at Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, Parsha Shlach. Rabbi Rucham says, Dvarim Neklan. He says you could have a Yeshiva Bachar today carving on the words of a Rishon. And in Shamayim, the Bachar is held in higher esteem than the Rishon of whose words he's learning because of the challenges that he faces. You know, we're emphasizing the challenges in terms of the spiritual, let's say, impurity, uh, the Yetzirah the that's available today, the Tumah that's available today. But I think we could also add the emotional distress and the frailty of, of emotional well-being that people have today, that people are very sensitive today, and people feel very broken today, and the emotional wherewithal is is very fragile today compared to earlier generations, and the emotional distress people are suffering is very intense compared to earlier generations. And if in such an, a climate and such a generation, a person does their best to be mechazek. In Amuna, in Bitachin, in Abaydas Hashem, in Mimanat Torah, in Shmir Samitzvahs, you can't imagine how valuable that is, Hashem. It may be more valuable than even Tanoam and Amaram. That's what Rabbi Rucham says. That's what Arizal said. I'm not saying it. I could never say such a thing. So, yes, people have great challenges today. And in a certain sense, that's that's part of Ahavarabba, why Hashem's love for us is more. That's why. When we, when we strengthen ourselves to do something that's good, it gives Hashem so much nachas today. You don't know. You know, sometimes you look at your kid, you know, what's going to be with my, my children? What's going to be of them? Well, they're living in a very rough generation. Kaya emotional, uh, fragile generation. And and when they do something, it brings rebush some tremendous nachas. And it should bring you nachas. So this is all part of the Ahav Rabba, the expanding love for, that Akash Baruch has for the Jewish people. Murray, they grab a glass team. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hi, thank you so much for taking my question. Um, my question is that, like, sometimes when, like, seemingly bad things happen, and it's easy to go out in the world and say, oh, it's good, and put a smile on your face, and just, like, Physically feel all okay and show the world that you're fine. But emotionally, we don't really feel it inside. Like that gap between the physically just walking out and being all happy and dandy and feeling it emotionally. It's a very like, it's pulling in two directions. What's, 
is there any things that we could do to make our physical congruent to our emotional or bring our emotional state up so that we can know it emotionally and physically? I'm going to say something that might be a little bit unpopular, but it needs to be said. You know, I, in our times, there's such an emphasis on Simcha Sachayim. You never heard about this 50 years ago. Simcha Sachayim. But, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous to emphasize it so much. Because when people are in pain, and they're thinking they're supposed to walk around smiling and dancing and they don't have to walk around smiling and dancing. It doesn't say that anywhere. You ha it doesn't say that you need to do that. If someone's in pain, the first thing they need to do is talk to somebody and try to alleviate the pain. The first thing they have to do is identify what's hurting them and what's bothering them and try to speak to somebody and try to talk it out and Tell somebody, you know, this is bothering me. This happened to me. This hurts. And I believe in Hashem, and I believe Hashem did it for the good, but it still hurts. But to, to mask it and to walk around, you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, like uh, some kind of artificial show, the evil, like uh, it's all, no, no, no. That's, that's, it's, a, it's a dangerous type of method of dealing with difficulty. Simcha Sachayim means it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean it's not challenging. It means coming to a genuine awareness that the difficulties in life are, are not accidental, are not coincidental. They're sent by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's doing it for my chesed. He's doing it for my benefit. Sometimes I don't understand, but in no way does it mean that it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. It's, it's interesting that you say, you know, you don't have to put up a show in public. You know, many people feel they have to pretend, and it's very hard. You know, why should the world see that they're not in a good mood? But uh, the idea that you're saying, go speak to someone, it's okay to feel what you're feeling and discuss it, reach out. That's amazing. But I just want to mention one thing that these concepts that we're discussing are not easy. And what, what I want to say is it's like a muscle um, to find times that do work out, find things that you could thank Hashem for, and then work on your connection, um, seeing how Hashem does love you then. And then you go to the other things that you're having a difficult time, and then you could like slowly get to that place of understanding of Hashem loves me no matter what. But if people have, if you haven't done it in the past and you're just starting now when you're sitting in that painful place and you just can't get out of it and you don't understand why Hashem is doing this to you and it's already weeks and months and you're full of pain, it's very hard to switch that mindset. So it's just a, if, you, if you're going to build that muscle, build it from the positive side, so hopefully you can take it over to that negative side. So it's just one to add. There's somebody asking an a interesting question. I'll just read it. Here's a question. I understand that Hashem loves us unconditionally, like you mentioned in the beginning. However, I'm curious about the significance of being punished for our sins. What difference does it make if Hashem is punishing me 
yeah, even though he does he does love me unconditionally, but now he's punishing me for my sins. So how do we look at it? I think the question is, how does this person live, you know, understanding that it's, it's a punishment and Hashem loves us, having them both together? Look, in our generation, the concept of punishment is like a taboo. It's like you can't talk about it. It's like there's no such thing as a sin and there's no such thing as a punishment. But the reality is the reality. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm gonna deal with somebody posted something as well. Okay, a few things I just want to touch, touch upon. Firstly, the reality is that yes, Hashem loves us unconditionally, but because He loves us unconditionally, He wants us to be excellent. The the example is like this. The mushal is like this. You love your child. So you're walking in the street with him. He has a, a little stain on his shirt. You're going to tell him, hey, Yingala, you can't walk outside like that. You have to be uh, re respectable. You can't dress like that. You need to clean off your shirt. You need, to you need to clean that. You can't wear a shirt like that. You can't act like that. There's a guy walking down the street. He has a huge stain all over his shirt. What do you say to him? Nothing. Why? You don't care as much. Because Hashem loves us so much, that's why He wants us to be perfect. Perfect means as good as we could be. And if we're not as good as we as we could be, He's going to let us know. And therefore, when things happen that are not pleasant, and they're painful, but at the same time, we have to ask, okay, how could I be better? How could I be better? How could I be better? That's something that in a healthy way we need to ask ourselves every single day of our life. But the reason we're asking is because Hashem loves us. The Pasuk says, The punishment is because of the love, not despite it. It's not that even though Hashem loves us, He still punishes us. It's because Hashem loves us. He wants us to be better. He wants us to be greater. He wants us to be more eligible to his his blessing. Oilam haba, oilam hazen. So the difficulties of life are not despite Hashem's love, they're because of Hashem's love. Um, Rabbi Nachum, is it okay if we uh, just put into context a little bit of uh, from historical perspective or that's sort of uh, changing gears? And I wouldn't mind changing gears because, you know, they're asking me like all the all the great mysteries of life here. So go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So just, just like very briefly, I think it's also important to understand that the, the events of October 7th, specifically from our cousins, Yishmael, and specifically in the area of Gaza, um, more than just personal suffering, national suffering, there's a certain historical perspective that we have to view it in because this is not just, well, you know, Israel had a security lapse and uh, they were warned about it and uh, they didn't take the right precautions. No, no. From historical perspective, a Jew has to have clear. You know, there are four exiles that we have to go through before Mashiach comes. There's Galus Bavel, there's Paras, there's Persia Media, there is Greece, and there's Rome. But in the end of days, Arizal says there's a dual Galus. There's Gullus Adam, and then there's like a transition 
that at the end of days there's a dual galus, there's Edom and Yishmael. And a certain way, Chazal tells us in many places, that Yishmael is the most severe of all the galusim that we've ever been through. Now, why is it important to know this? Because this, uh, sometimes tragedy is painful when we think, why did this happen? This is a coincidence. No, no. This is the program of history. We already know the program. Anyone who studies the Gemaras, Chazal, Midrashim, knows in the end of days, there are two galusim. There's galus Edom and galus Yishmael. So in a certain sense, we should have a certain security that things are happening as they should. That doesn't mitigate the pain, but that puts in a certain context that it's not coincidental, it's not accidental, and there's a program over here. The program is, at the end of days, Golos Edoim, Golos Yishman. For those who want to know more about the subject, there are two Gemaras and Shas, the Gemara Nabodazar, the Apes, the Gemara Nyuma, the Apiyot, where the Gemara says, in the end of days, there will be two nations standing, Rome and Persia. And it's very difficult to understand what the Gemara means. Persia will stand in the end of days. What does that mean? Persia is going to stand in the end of days. The Persian Empire is long gone. It crumbled a long time ago. The Greeks defeated the Persians. And there's a very important uh, revelation of the Maral. Because the Maral also discusses the idea. You know, why do the Chazal always talk about Babylonian, Persian, Greek, and, and Edom, why don't they talk about Yishmael? Why isn't Yishmael one of the four Golosim? And the Maral sort of uh, drops a bombshell. The Maral says that Haras in the Gemara is synonymous with Yishmael, which means the Gemara has already predicted more than 1,500 years ago that in the end of days, there'll be two nations standing. There'll be Edom, which by the way, Ben Yoyada says is America, and then there's Persia, which Maral says is Yishmael. And the way the Maral reads the Gemaras and the reads Chazal, <laughs> the Gemaras saying black and white, in the end of days, there'll only be two powers in the world, USA and Yishmael. And actually, there are various opinions in the Gemara, who will defeat who? And I'm glad that Mashiach is imminent to enter the waiting room over here. But... Um, the Gemara tells us that in the end of days there will be two nations standing, Yishmael and the Western world. And actually, the majority opinion in the Gemara is that Yishmael will defeat the Western world. And Reb Chaim Knievsky concurs with that, by the way. And I want to share with you a very important uh, perspective on this that it's, it's extremely vital that every Jew understands. You know, when we read these Gemaras, at the end of, the, of days, there are two world powers, who will defeat who, and in our minds, you know, what does this mean exactly? Is this nuclear war? Is this uh, some kind of battle, physical battle? Any student of history knows that the, the uh, Roman Empire, many people think the Roman Empire, it crumbled. Excuse me, the Roman Empire was defeated, it was conquered, there were invaders. No, it never happened. The Roman Empire was not conquered. It was not attacked. It was not invaded. Political disenchantment, political disintegration, it just came apart at the seams and it disintegrated. Nobody conquered Rome. Nobody attacked it. The value system 
they realized the value system was bereft, it was empty, and the society stopped ceasing. It just political disintegration. And when the Gemara says in the end of days, there'll be two nations standing, Yishmael and Edom, the United States, it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be this big war, nuclear battle. The same way other empires fell. In the end of days, very likely, there'll be two value systems in the world. There'll be the value system of the Western world, you know, Judeo-Christian values, and the value system of the Ishmael and the Arabs. And they have values, and they stand for something. It's not necessarily good, but they do have a value system. And the Gemara is sort of debating, well, which value system will stand until Mashiach comes? And what we're seeing taking place in our country is uh, uh, they're beginning to recognize that the values that the country was uh, built upon, the country no longer stands upon or no longer advocates for or no longer believes in. And it's sort of pretty haunting that the Gemara is saying in the end of days, there'll be these two value systems remaining standing world. And which one will stand last before Mashiach comes? And in a certain sense, this is like a, a comforting perspective on the way things will play out. Because things are playing out exactly the way they were predicted to. You have two world powers in the world. You have the Arab world. You have the Western world. You have Edoim, the country we live in. You have the Ishmaelim. And uh, they're both pretty powerful. And the question is, what's going to happen in our country? What's going to happen in the Arab world? But in the end of days, the Gemara has already told us these are the two powers to reckon with. And ultimately, uh, upon the demise of both, will herald the coming of Mashiach. So, yes, there are difficult times. They're challenging times. But with the perspective of what's happening based on it, it gives us a certain comfort that there's a program here. We're watching it unfold. We're doing our best, of course. Ultimately, you know, a person always has to go back to the basics. Yes, uh, the, these programs are vital. Like I said, we need the consolation. We need the solace. We need to be able to talk out our problem. We need a Rav We need Rav Asher. They're helping us, you know, really unload and be able to have the Nechama. But then we have to turn inwardly and say, look, with all of our challenges, with all the tumma in the world, with all the emotional distress, with all the, the problems that we're facing, but we do ultimately have to uh, make introspection and make changes. And the efforts we make to strengthen ourselves in Limar HaTorah and Shmiras HaMitzvahs, after we feel strong and good about ourselves, that will make a tremendous difference. And never underestimate a small effort that you make. Because like we learned, a small mitzvah that a Jew does today is perhaps more valuable than the greatest mitzvahs of earlier generations. Realize that in our challenges and in our difficulties and in our struggles, 
in that arena, every small mitzvah we do looms so large in the eyes of Hashem. So uh, we thank, really, uh, Coach Menachem, Rabbi Asher. Oh, Rabbi Daniel, we have more. We have more there, Rabbi Daniel. Go, 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 go for it. Sorry. I sorry I was tired the question, then we'll go to closing, okay? Hi, yeah. sorry. Hi, Dr. Uh, Rabbi Glass. You just kind of answered my questions. And, you know, I, obviously, the, the historical, you know, putting it in a historical context, yeah, Sineas, Yaakov, yada, yada. But the thing I, I've been having a lot of difficulty with, it's just the whole insanity of this. And I, I write a lot of, or review a lot of books about, you know, the Holocaust. And this whole thing, you know, I, initially I was outraged like everyone else over the, you know, you know, the shootings, the killings, and the, and the taking of the hostages. And then as I read more about these tunnels, it just reminded me so much of Auschwitz that it was just a whole miniature city devoted to killing. And, you know, they, they even had their hierarchies. They had, they even had an orchestra. I'm hearing you. This is like, you know, um, you know, the cars can drive, it was like, you know, parking lots, everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I keep thinking, you know, as a Jew, I'm wondering, I I must have, you know, that I've been living rent-free in these people's heads for all this, you know, all the money and material that went to building this apparatus, just like in Auschwitz, it's money that, should, you know, that went to building Auschwitz instead of the German military. You know, you know what I'm saying is, ideology that consumed it but it's, it's it's really true you know psychopathology in the long run it's it's one thing that just things go wrong and yes we're always going to unfortunately have wars have this have, have, but how yeah, do you, you know, deal with insanity that, that's i'm still wrapping that, my head around it yeah, yeah. Well, the perspective that that we can't forget about is that in this war which is uncovering literally cities under the ground yeah, think about it. Thousands, tens of thousands of terrorists, thousands of pounds of explosive devices. Do yeah, you realize what 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 would have been if we went to gone to war? And I, I know, I know. None. What could I, they have? How many? How many? You can't even imagine. So it was a terrible tragedy. But yeah, I, you you know you don't want to say it was a chesed that we discovered this, but but yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, no. I mean, I hope they find the. I, I, that's another thing. I don't know why they're, you know, they're having a hard time getting with the hostages. It's like playing whack a mole or something. This reminded me again. Yeah. If you if you're adept in holocaust, holocaust history, the very end of these death marches, forced marches, they were doing everything they could to cling to the prisoners. It was it was something like they couldn't. It was an obsession that you. you well, let's hope, just like yeah. after the Holocaust, Hashem really blessed Klali Israel. And we resort to many, many great spiritual benefits, the revitalization of the yeshiva world and the Hasidisha world, and really the explosion of Klali Israel since the Holocaust. Let's hope the Rebbe Shalom again is Mavarechas now in the aftermath with the tremendous bracha, because, you know. Yeah, no, I just feel the same way that like an American soldier, Russian soldier felt the British when they liberated the camps. They didn't realize it wasn't just when they saw that not just the dead bodies but just the whole it was just mind-boggling and i feel that i'm feeling that way haunted i don't know how somebody's going to explain to their children in years i don't know if that itself is more traumatic than the kill and not to discount the sufferings of the hostages and their families but i just say this collectively as a a jew like it it, it, every time i think about it i feel like 
and I grew up around a lot of craziness. You know, yeah, look, uh, my life. there's evil in the world, and uh, yeah. our job is to overcome it. Thank you for your comments. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, first of all, let's go to closing now. For Augustus Kretzer of Daniel Glass for coming on tonight, giving Trent's Chizik. So many more questions we have to cover, um, but it's it's a very sensitive topic tonight, and uh, we're all trying to wrap our heads around it and try to get some uh, you know clarity. Some chizik again. If anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at nine thirty, you have different shum and different topics. Which I'm next week, January fourteenth, going to have a deep share with Rabbi Shaya Groucher, which is Daddy's son. And as everybody knows, he's a tremendous amount of chesed that he's doing in Israel and really helping a lot of people. And hopefully, he'll give us some firsthand stories about what's going on. And we'll really try to um, to get some, uh, you know, seeing what's going on over there and figure it out. We're titling it "The Man Lifting Eretz Yisrael's Broken Heart and Single-Handedly Transforming an Entire Nation with Unstoppable Determination, Elevating Klaistral, Empowering Jewish Communities for Collective Support on the Front Lines." So please join us next week, Machem. Hopefully he'll be here, and uh, it should be a deep, meaningful program. It us a lot of chizik. And again, for anybody watching this year, Machem, it's all recorded. It'll be Machem on MenachemBerufel.com. It'll be on Torah anytime. Other Rabbi Daniel. Last name. If anybody has any questions, you can go to his email, CoachMenachemAgima.com. Tonight's share is share one hundred and seventy. Anybody has any questions? Uh, if anyone's listening on the phone, the number is 848 grow If anybody wants to get in touch with Rabbi Daniel Glastein, his website is rabbidg.com. And I'm sure you can contact him there, anything like that, anything you need. Please reach out to him over there. And don't forget about the new book that he just came out with. Menachem's going to send out the email. Very little spoke about Rabbi Baldes, very little. So that's that, that was one thing that we forgot to speak about. But the bottom line is that Rabbi Meir was a Hedegatana. And maybe you'll leave it in your closing about Remea Balnes. Daniel, yeah. leave it in your leave we'll, do it in we'll do it in a nutshell. We'll do it in a nutshell in the closing. Yeah. And again, great chizik. We're going to go to Coach Menachem first, and then to Reb Daniel, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. So, Daniel, I want to thank you. It's It was a, not an easy topic. And, um, you know, the little chizik that we could give everyone. And like I mentioned, it's it doesn't happen overnight. And the connection that we have to Hashem, everybody could think, you know, before they even start thinking about it, where am I? Where am I coming from? You know, the way I grew up. Um, what is my connection? Positive, negative. And uh, based on that, you know, we're all on a journey. Um, you know, everybody's in a different place. And it, stay, it takes, you know, small steps. And that's how we grow. And that's exactly what Hashem wants. The perfection that we discussed tonight, that's perfect exactly where you are taking that next step and uh, if you're having a hard time connecting to Hashem for whatever reason it's trying to find small things where you can thank small things to realize you know things worked out things are working out and feel that love and like we heard loving yourself and loving Hashem Hashem is much more than you love yourself and this is all all growth it all takes time it's part of the journey um so thank you thank you very much and Hashem should help us all no matter where we are we should have an achama and if we have to do tshuva we should be able to do tshuva and in Hashem we should be zoycha to geula v'mehera v'yemeinu Amen the closing is yours wrap it all in together okay so just uh, wrap it up the the uh, subject was supposed to be Rameir but actually Rameir is the perfect closing for uh, tonight's discussion you know, Reb Meir's uh, great teaching was actually that irrespective of our actions, we're the beloved children of Hashem. And actually, you know, 
I look at the cover here. I we made a cover. This is uh the uh of Rameer Balanes. This is where he's buried in Tveria. And there's a reason why Rameer is buried in Tveria. Did you know that Mashiach will reveal itself in Tveria, the Gemara says in Rashtana? Why? So the Makabalam say because ultimately when Hashem wants to bring Mashiach, the nations of the world are gonna say, oh, we bring Mashiach for them, they're not deserving. So we're gonna need somebody to stand up and say, what do you mean they're not deserving? But they're the beloved children of Hashem. Now, not all the Tanoim subscribe to that, but we know Rameir does. So the Halakha follows the Imara Da'asra, you know, the rabbi of the community. So there's only one community in the world that the rabbi is going to get up and no one's going to start up because the rabbi holds unequivocally where the beloved children of Hashem, and that's in Tiberia. Rameir is buried in Tiberia. So that Mashiach says, I'm going to show up, I'm going to reveal myself in Tiberia. And if anyone challenges my coming, Rameir will silence them because Rameir will say they're the beloved children of Hashem. Now, Rameir is buried in a very unusual position. Rameir is buried standing up, that reason says. Why? Because his merit is what keeps us standing tall, is what stands up for us until Mashiach comes. So whenever you're down in the dumps, Whenever you feel low, whenever you feel unworthy, we're always supposed to think of Rameir. You know, Rav Chaim Falaji writes, never divert your attention from the Tana Rameir. The reason is like we started, because the fundamental principle of the Torah is we're the beloved children of Hashem. Don't ever forget it. Rameir never forgets it. And in the merit of Rameir, uh, the Mashiach will come. So, Bezus Hashem, we hope to hear good news, good tidings from the holy city of Tiberia. We hope to hear about the uh, coming of the redemption and in the merit of us coming together tonight to lean on each other and to be able to alleviate our pain and to be able to elevate ourselves and yearn to grow and yearn for the coming of Mashiach. We should hear uh, good news. Surah Toivos. The Biaskal Tzedek, thank you for listening and Bracha Bahasafat everyone. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Daniel, Mitchell, we'll see everybody next week. Same time, same place with Reb Shaya Groucher from the front lines of Israel. And thank you again for coming and being part of this amazing program. And Reb Daniel, thank you again for all that you put in for Coach Menachem. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.